0: Welcome this morning to part two of Falling Forward. If you didn't have the opportunity to uh, listen or be here last Sunday for part one, it is available online for you to listen to and encourage you to do that. Last week we learned a little bit about life in first century Galilee. A little bit of history for you. And by way of reminder, many boys wanted to grow up to be a rabbi. It was kind of the thing. But it was a grueling process, and they all knew it. And understand, this is the environment in which Jesus was born, raised, and served in Galilee. Kids started studying at their local synagogue by the age of five, hoping that one day they would be the teacher, the leader, the rabbi, as we discussed last week. And after nine years of studying at the age of 14, the best of the students would have the entire Old Testament memorized the first two-thirds of your Bible, by the age of 14. Students who wanted to become a Talmud, we talked about last week, the meaning disciple Talmud, of a particular rabbi had to go through an intense application process. It was kind of like getting into a prestigious school here in America today. If you want to get into Harvard, you better have a 4.0 GPA, or you better have a 32 on your ACT, or a 1600 on your SAT score. Without those kind of numbers, probably not going to make it. Probably not going to get in. It was the same with the Talmud, applying to follow a rabbi. Those who didn't make the cut often ended up going back to the family trade that had been passed down from generation to generation, like stonemasons or fishermen, merchants or laborers all good things to do. And yet many of these boys wanted to be the rabbi, wanted to be the teacher. At 14, the rabbi would quiz a prospective Talmud. It was a painstaking process, as we reviewed last week. The teen might be asked to recite an entire Old Testament book, or he might be asked, how many times is the name Lord mentioned in the book of Leviticus? Very intense. Rabbis made it tough because the excellence of the student directly reflected the excellence of the teacher. So he wanted to make sure this was the best of the best. If a rabbi's talmuds were the cream of the crop, the rabbi would be respected and admired by his colleagues. So he selected only the very best to follow him. If the rabbi thought the student was the best, he would say, La Lachacharai, Lach follow me, follow me. Come follow me. The boy would leave his family, village, all things familiar, to follow the rabbi. He would become a Talmud a disciple a student. He would devote his entire life to becoming exactly like the rabbi. Exactly like the rabbi. And everything he said, everything he did, everything he taught, he wanted to be just like the rabbi. He would follow him anywhere and everywhere, literally. So I thought it would be good if we demonstrated this this morning, just to make sure we're on the same page. Let's say that I'm the rabbi. I need a few Talmud or Talmidim in plural so if you would like to volunteer to follow the rabbi I, I need a couple of volunteers otherwise I will hand pick you, um, you say, Lach-achrei. Lach-achrei. yes okay uh, volunteers not everybody at once of course Okay, Caleb? Oh, wait. Okay, Marshall? I'll be addressing that jersey in just a moment. Um, <laughs> uh, because he is not like the rabbi in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, come, oh. come. Oh. La <laughs> I, Okay, good. Uh, okay? Yeah, Caleb, come on. Okay, I, I need w- one more at least. Oh, John, since you're up, come on. Mm. A valuable lesson here at Southside. Don't ever look up at me, raise your hand, or stand at any time I'm asking for volunteers. Welcome. Welcome. Well, these men will now be my Talmidim, my disciples. So you will do everything exactly like the rabbi does. Okay? So if a rabbi... like If a rabbi decided... Hey, I'm going to go to another town. Guess what the Talmudim would do? They would follow. And if the rabbi decided that, say, it was time to go to the market, the Talmudim would follow. Now, be careful here, guys. It's a little treacherous. If the rabbi would say, uh, let's go to the market to get supplies and food, certainly the Talmudim would follow. And if the rabbi would say, we need to go and do some teaching, the Talmudim would follow. And if the rabbi would say, we need to go pray for the sick, the Talmudim would follow. So oh, they wanted to be exactly like the rabbi. Now, I would like you as a congregation to determine how these guys are doing. All right? Are they just like the rabbi? Okay? How you guys doing? Wow John. No, it's Rabbi. <laughs> Rabbi. How you doing there, Viking? <laughs> All day. All day. You wanna to go to one handed? <laughs> nah, we won't do that. Alright. Come on. How you doing? Okay, so you gotta determine how are they looking? They doing okay so far? Okay. No. How are these guys doing? They pretty good? Well, thank you guys for following. Just for a few minutes. Doing exactly like the rabbi does. Let's give him a hand, shall we? Nice job. But to follow this rabbi, this unique rabbi, by the name of Jesus, the cost was far greater because if the rabbi decided to live homeless so did his followers and if the rabbi Jesus decided to hang out with sinners and the scorned and the shameful so did his disciples and if Jesus the rabbi loved his enemies his students would have to follow And if Jesus, the rabbi, embraced Viking fans, (laughs) so would his followers. And if Jesus, the rabbi, decided not to fight or to flee, but to face persecution, his students would follow. In fact, one of the most significant concepts of the New Testament is Jesus chose the Talmud system Of education. That's the way that he was raised. So the the Talmud-rabbi relationship is the model that Jesus used. And I'd like us to get back to. Jesus' training program was simple. Be with me so you can live like me. After night in prayer, he selected the 12. And he said in Mark 3 that you might be with me. You might be with me. And as we discovered last week, so that you might live like me. That was his training program. And here was the key point from last week. Knowledge came, came, knowledge of who God is, the way that God operates, came through association and demonstration before it was understood by explanation. This is just so critical because this is the method that Jesus chose. Knowledge came through association and demonstration before, before it was understood by explanation. In our educational system in this country, we turn it all upside down and it has to be explained before it is lived. But I would say in my life, in my spiritual development, far more of the transformation in my life came through association and demonstration than it did through education or explanation. It's not enough just to sit and soak and listen and learn facts. We want a demonstration of the power in the kingdom of God. It can't be read in a book. It can't be from some foreign land. It has to be our experience with the living God. If he is truly alive, then we have to spend time with him because it is a love relationship. It is based on association and then demonstration of that key concept that you might be with me. Be with me. It can't be explained, but somehow we've got this thing all backwards. And we say, okay, go through this study, fill in these blanks, then you're discipled. It doesn't work that way. Now that's not necessarily a bad thing because that's foundational and necessary, but we have to take it a step further. True discipleship, the greatest impact in my life, came from those who spent time with me, who invested into my life. And I saw Jesus in them, I saw the kingdom of God in them, and I wanted it for myself. Not from a textbook, not from taking a class. Again, there's nothing wrong with that, but it can't be all that there is. There's so much more. Association, demonstration of the power of God. Now Jesus called men who had already failed this rabbi test his 12 and he said to them, "Lakakah I come follow me. Come follow me." Now being a follower of Jesus requires complete and continual commitment. You know that. On the whole, we don't do real well with absolute commitment, do we? If we're honest with ourselves, when we commit ourselves to do something, I think we prefer selective commitment. I call it cafeteria Christianity. You get that, right? You go into the cafeteria and say, Mm, i I'll take some of that. I don't like that. Oh, 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 I really like that. And so we go through and we just kind of make it our own choice. We look at our relationship with Jesus and say, I'm going to follow you, Jesus, but I'll choose the areas. I'll choose the areas that I will follow you. And beyond that, we'll say, I'll follow you, Jesus, but don't ask me to forgive that person that hurt me. I'm not going to let go of that pain. I'm not going to let go of that bitterness. I earned it. I deserve that, Right? So I'll follow you, Jesus, except for this area. Or I'll follow you, Jesus, but don't talk to me about my money. I work hard for my money. Really. I'll follow you, Jesus, but don't tell me to get my sexual habits. I can't help the fact that I have these urges. Don't ask me to stop. Stop. So, it's this kind of cafeteria Christianity that says, I will follow Jesus, but only in areas that are comfortable, only in those areas that are controllable, only in those areas that are convenient, and when I feel like it. Doesn't work that way. When we decide to become a follower of Christ, we've got to go all in. We've got to go all in. There's no bargaining, there's no bartering, there's no finagling with any of this. So, when people came to hear Jesus, they must have looked at his Talmuds and said, What? What's up with this? What kind of guys are following him? They're nobodies. A bunch of fishermen, political hotheads. And that guy, he's a tax collector. What what kind of a following does this rabbi have anyway? But the greatest teacher who ever lived offers us, us, a chance to become one of his students. Us. Wow. Wow. And when he says anyone, he means everyone. There are no qualifications from him, which means there can be no excuses from us. That's the bottom line. He makes his invitation to anyone, but he clearly states up front that it will cost us everything, everything to follow this rabbi. So, what will we do? Will we follow? Are we willing to follow the rabbi Jesus? Notice I said follow Jesus, I did not say believe in him. Is believing in Jesus important? absolutely it is does the devil believe in jesus yes does the devil follow jesus no of course believing in him is extremely important but did you know that in the gospels jesus said to believe in him about five times depending on your translation he said to follow him 20 times it's both and it's both and so If we're working on a definition of a disciple, some common language here at Southside, let's kind of think about this for a moment. A disciple is someone who is intentionally committed to learning practical skills from someone with more expertise. I love it when someone's ahead of me in the race. And that doesn't mean they're necessarily older than me, but there's something about their life, their spiritual walk with Jesus that I, I would like for me. And i like them to teach me. i like them to model it. For me. I want to be with them because man, when that rubs off, that's pretty cool. I know when I'm with that person, I leave closer to God than when I came in. I want to hang out with those kind of people. It has nothing to do with age, but when we think about a disciple, it's learning practical skills from someone who's a little ahead in the race. Here's another way to think about it. it comes from Matthew four nineteen. You know this verse. Jesus said to them, Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Very simple definition. A disciple of Jesus is committed to following Jesus. Is committed to following Jesus. Again, Jesus says, follow me. And understand, this is based on love. We talked last week about this being the most intense love relationship. And for Talmud, the most important person in his life was the rabbi. Even above family relationships. He was all in. And follow me is based on love. Oftentimes we think, Jesus, the hard taskmaster, follow me, follow me, follow me. Yeah, I get that. But it's not like mom with a minivan leaving Walmart saying, follow me out of here, kids, get a van. Right? It's not like that. It's not like that at all. He's offering us an invitation to a different way of life. Follow me. It's based on love. Find out what life is really about and what your life can really be like. Follow me. It's based on his love. Now the choice is ours to obey, but understand it's all about grace. It's all about His love when He gives us His invitation. It's not a demand. He's asking us, I'll show you something. I'll give you something because I love you. I love you. Follow me. Follow me. It's based on His love. It means being committed to being changed by Jesus. He said, I will make you. I will make you. We don't make ourselves fishers of men. This is based on our surrender. Here is a key element in being a disciple of Jesus. It's about total surrender and continual surrender in our lives. It's not about gaining more knowledge. It's not about going to more church services. It has nothing to do with that. It's more about the surrender of our lives to Him. I will make you. We don't make ourselves. We're passive in this process. We just say yes to Him, and that passiveness is expressed in our surrender. Not your will, but my be done. No, no, not my will, but yours be done. It's based on our surrender continually to him. The third part, committed to be on mission with Jesus. I will make you what? Fishers of men. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. This is his mission. That's done for his glory. That also should be our mission. Now Jesus said he will build the church. We are to make disciples. We often, and I fall into this trap in my years of ministry, we get this backwards. It's my job to build a church, my job to bring people in, my job to raise money, my job to do this. No, it's not. Jesus said he will build the church. What am I supposed to be doing? Making, Making disciples. If we got this right, the church in America would begin to come back to uh, what it's supposed to be powerful, transforming our culture. We are to make disciples. We spend a lot of time building the church. Not good. Not healthy. He's the builder. We're not. We are supposed to make disciples. We get it mixed up. Now, growing a disciple who makes other disciples takes time. And understand, as Jesus' ministry stretched into the second and then the third year, every year he spent more and more time with the twelve, not less and less. The closer he got to departure, the more investment he made just into the twelve. Wow. Wow. That's our focus in the coming year. Making disciples who will make disciples. So at the age of 30, a gifted Talmud would become a teacher himself and would start passing on his lifestyle, his worldview, his method of teaching to his own Talmudim. So when the teacher believed that his Talmudim were prepared like him, he would commission them to go out and make more disciples. Kind of interesting, all right? He was saying, you are not like me go and seek others who will imitate you because you are like me. When they imitate you, they will be like me. And so the system continues. And this practice certainly lies underneath of Jesus' words called the Great Commission found in Matthew chapter 28 when he said, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, And the Son and the Holy Spirit teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We all understand that. This is the great commission from Jesus. This passage is a pinnacle, not only of the gospel, but I believe of the entire Old Testament. I don't think it's too much of a stretch to say that this passage of Scripture is the summit of the entire Bible. The great commission. This central message from God points us to the central mission for the people of God. Here's what we're supposed to be doing, making disciples. So what's the main verb and the imperative in this passage of Scripture? What is, can you go back to the Matthew 28? What is the verb in that passage of Scripture? Anybody else with the right answer? In verse 19, there's a singular verb. The verb is a command. It's make disciples. It's surrounded by three participles, going, baptizing, and teaching. Those are all participles. There's only one verb in that verse. It is make disciples. Make disciples. Huh. The imperative, the command, make disciples. Unfortunately, We have put way too much emphasis on go than was intended and not given full force to the actual command in the Scripture, which is to make disciples. Here's where Greek can actually help us just a little bit. The command is to make disciples, not to go. In fact, if you want to kind of unpackage that, it's an aorist participle, which means... Since you're on your way or since you've already gone, here's what I want you to do. Make disciples. It is a participle. It is not the command. I wish in English it were expressed differently. The command is to make disciples. So why use the term make disciples? Why not simply command, go evangelize the world? Why didn't Jesus say that? Why didn't he say that? The reason is that Christianity is more than a decision to trust Christ as Savior. It is more than that. In the Gospels, our Lord invited men to follow Him, not just believe in Him. Belief is extremely important. Christianity is more than a moment-in-time conversion. It is the radical transformation that leads to a whole new way of life that is, in fact, a process. It implies the forsaking of our former way of life, the commitment to live for God, By his grace. In other words, discipleship, that word uh, compresses both conversion and Christian living into a single term. It compresses salvation, if you're theological, and sanctification into one term. The term is disciple, discipleship. Conversion to Christ in the New Testament was inconceivable, inconceivable without a commitment to follow him. You don't just pray a prayer and say, okay, I'm a Christian, here we go. Or now I go to church, now I'm a Christian. Does not work that way. We have to follow him. We have to follow him. And that's why our Lord persistently challenged would-be followers to count the cost and the rewards. Count the cost. If any man would be my disciple, let him take up his cross daily and follow me. It's going to cost you everything. But he said, count the cost before deciding to follow. And many chose not to follow. They understood clearly what he was saying. I'm not just asking you to believe in me. I'm asking you to follow me. And that's going to require everything. Everything. So the key question is, are, is not this. Are we making disciples? A far better question is, what kind of disciples are we making here at Southside? That is an interesting question. We're serious about building healthy disciples. Now, Ephesians 4 states this. This is the centerpiece of my philosophy of ministry. Jesus is the one who gave these gifts to the church. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This is the core of my understanding of philosophy of ministry. So, when was your last physical? I had mine on Friday good report. Shoulders just a little sore. Pneumonia shot on this side. Flu shot on this side. Getting ready to go to Bangkok. It's like, oh. Everybody comes up and morning. How are you, Pastor? Ah, I'm good. Hey, you? <laughs> so you go to the doc and he says, huh, let me ask you a few questions. Here's your blood work. I got some health-related questions to ask you. But I think it's time for a spiritual checkup to see how healthy we are and how we can improve in making healthy disciples. Disciple making is not mysterious. It's not complicated. It isn't. It's an intentional relational process of helping others follow Jesus. And each of us are at a different place spiritually. And that's cool. That's great. We want to grow, though, into the likeness of Jesus. No matter where we are, we want to move forward. So uh, we've got three things and expectations that we have for you. For those of you new to the church, you heard it right here. Uh, what we want to do is three things. I think three very simple things. We want to worship corporately. We want to worship corporately. It's important to do what we do at 10 o'clock on Sunday morning. There's nothing like the body of Christ worshiping together. It's powerful. It's wonderful. It is body life. We are the body of Christ. Secondly, we want to participate locally. We want to participate locally. How do we do that? Home groups, we talked about them last week, are one vehicle, one great vehicle to make healthy disciples. Uh, out there is this brochure, explains all the home group stuff, and there is a sign-up table. We had a great start to home group sign-ups. Uh, Last year, we had 60% of our adults who call this place home in a home group. I think we're going to beat that this year, and I'm very grateful for that. This is where disciples are made, and this is where discipleship happens. So I'm excited. Have you signed up? Make sure you hit the table on the way out if you haven't. Uh, Some of the groups are just about full or overflowing. So the first will be last, and the last will be first. So get out there and sign up. And lastly, serve intentionally serve intentionally Michael's going to come in a moment and share with us about uh, our faith in action Sunday but in order to serve effectively we have to know our spiritual gift do you know your spiritual Uh, let me ask this how many of you know what your spiritual gift is would you raise your hand wow good how many of you don't know your spiritual gift or aren't certain would you raise your hand okay good how many of you don't give a rip and you're glad the Packers are playing at 730 rather than noon okay good 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 (laughs) if you don't know your spiritual gift contact the church office we'd like to help you with that process there's an inventory that kind of gives us an indication of what gifts might be but we'd like to talk to you about that right because serving is extremely important so we are serious about serving we want to roll up our sleeves we want to get busy for Jesus And if you're relatively new to this church, let me say this in love. And again, don't hear what I'm not saying. Don't hear what I'm not saying. I really don't like that when you hear what I'm not saying. So don't hear what I'm not saying. Okay? What do you say? I don't get that. Okay? There's a time in our spiritual journey to sit and to soak and to heal. Where things have happened to us in our journey and we just need time. To rest, time to find renewal, time to recharge. Very, very important. We need Sabbath times. We need those. We need those in our spiritual journey. However, if you are here just to sit and soak and not serve, if you are here uh, simply to consume and not to contribute, perhaps there's a better place for you. I, I say that to you in love. That's how serious we are about serving. We expect everyone here to serve because that is the sign of a healthy disciple. Okay? So don't hear what I'm not saying. Don't hear what I'm not saying. Hear what I am saying. There is a time when we need to rest. I understand that. We all do that. But if you have no intention of ever serving here, of just coming and sitting and soaking, perhaps not the right church for you. I'm just saying that in love. Okay? Everybody understand that? Did I offend you? Oh, too bad. Grow up. We're serious because a disciple serves. A disciple participates in the body. A disciple is involved. And we need all hands on deck to complete the mission. This isn't a game. This is life and death. This is heaven and hell. This is not about us. This is about the lost who desperately need a Savior. This is about people around the world that need Jesus. And we can be a part of that process. It's a beautiful thing. At Southside, we're serious about serving. Serving together is a blast. That's what we're going to be doing in a couple of weeks on October 2nd. Michael, why don't you come and share with us. Uh, Back in that corner, uh, we're talking faith in action. Bob, you want to give us a wave there?